title of the message is going to be talking about today from the book of Daniel. Uh, we're an old school Bible teaching church. We go through books of the Bible. Uh, we're going to talk about the forgotten dream and the unforgettable Daniel. The forgotten dream and the unforgettable Daniel. So what we're going to do in just a minute is we're going to stand up. We're going to read uh, a wild story, a, a, a crazy sounding portion of scripture here in Daniel chapter 2, describing Daniel's dream. But I just want to say a few words about why we do that. Like, why do we stand up? And why do we read the Scripture? Well, um, reading the Bible personally, uh, being able to do that, has only been around for a few hundred years. And you think about it, the Bible's been around for thousands and thousands of years. Like what we're reading this morning, it's 2,600 years old. Well, we've only been able to read it for the past few hundred years. Before that, the only way to experience it is what we're going to do right now. So the Bible was actually written and designed to be read publicly then. And so, uh, so prior to the, the past few hundred years, there, there was no other options here. And so the public reading of Scripture was normative and central since the days of Moses to the New Testament era for about 15, 1700 years after that. So reading the Bible has been foundational uh, in the life of God's people for thousands of years. So the New Testament letters of the Apostle Paul were meant to be read. And so he said in 1 uh, Timothy, writing to a young pastor, Timothy in verse uh, 13 of chapter 4 said, devote yourself, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. So that's why we do it. It's biblical. It's been in the Bible forever. And so we just continue what God has said. So if you're able to stand to your feet, please stand. We're going to read together the dream, the wild dream of King Nebuchadnezzar that caused him to have massive insomnia. We're going to unpack that story today. Daniel chapter 2, beginning verse 31, we'll read through verse 36. I'll hit the odd verses. If you could hit the even verses. This is the word of the Lord. In your vision, your majesty, you saw standing before you a huge shining statue of a man. It was a frightening sight. Its legs were iron and its feet were a combination of iron and baked clay. The whole statue was crushed into small pieces of iron and clay and bronze and silver and gold. And then the wind blew them away without a trace, like chaff on a threshing floor. But the rock that knocked the statue down became a great mountain and covered the whole earth. So, Father, we thank you that we're here. We thank you for your word. Uh, Lord, as we look at this ancient, timeless story of Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar's dream, I pray that you would stir in us uh, the same courage and resolve as Daniel. Uh, Father, I pray that, uh, Lord, as we read and explain and apply the Scripture, we would be strengthened uh, by the sacred, God-breathed Scripture that will stand forever. I pray that we might even hear your voice and encounter you. And uh, Father, I pray that we would be a a people that love you and praise you and thank you because you first loved us and sent Jesus to die for us that we might be right with you. So do this and more, we pray in Christ's name. And everyone agreed by saying, a forgotten dream in an unforgettable Daniel and his four friends. So if you're here for the first time, by way of introduction, I'm just going to review so we are all on the same page here. But last week we looked at how to handle a crisis when crisis comes what do you do? So we're going to re review that very briefly, and then we'll dive into the rest of the chapter here. But each week, what we're doing now in Daniel is we're going to look at a challenging aspect of his life, and we will issue a challenge to you on how to think, how to act, how to, how to live here. And so that uh, you would be challenged to 
and dare to be in some way like Daniel. So our context now in Daniel chapter 2 is that Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, have been taken captive in about 600 uh, BC by King Nebuchadnezzar. They were indoctrinated, brainwashed, isolated to be like Babylonians here. And now Nebuchadnezzar, he's like a, a rookie king, a rookie uh, monarch there, the most powerful man actually on the planet. What happens is, is God like drops this dream uh, in the monarch's mind, uh, and he doesn't know what's going on, but he just knows he is absolutely freaked out by this dream that he has. And so we're going to talk about that dream. But then he forgets the dream. He can't quite recall the dream, and he's just so freaked out here. He's so disturbed by this this dream of divine origin that God dropped inside him. So he's a wreck. He's a complete mess here. He's scared to death. He's agitated to the core of his being here. Can't sleep, insomnia, nightmares, going crazy. Uh, And so uh, what happened is in the darkness of night, God went into the darkness of his mind and dropped this image there. So what do you do? Well, he did what kings do, and he had his own advisors. It's kind of like the psychic hotline, you know, Old Testament, 1-800-PSYCHIC. So he dialed that up then, and he calls for the magicians that were like fortune tellers, calls for the astrologers, or kind of like a horoscope deal back in the day, and sorcerers was kind of getting out there, kind of channeling the dead type thing. So kind of bizarre, but he appeals to them uh, because they're sort of the, the intellectuals, the brain trust of the Babylonian empire. So like many people do today, they call the experts when you don't know what to do. And that's what the king did here. So he calls the experts. The problem is the experts are completely inept, unqualified, unable to help the king whatsoever. So he, he calls their game. He says, I'm done with you guys and I'm done with your games. In fact, I'm done with you being on payroll. I've had it with you guys. You're a bunch of jokers here. And so he, he's got a, he's got a, a real short fuse, a real hot temper. So he explodes. And he goes crazy. And he says, you know what? If you guys can't produce something more, then I'm going to cut you to pieces, and I'm going to burn, I'm going to trash your homes. That's what I'm going to do to you. And so you will be executed. And they're like, king, like, it's impossible what you're asking us to do. Tell us the dream, and we'll interpret the dream. He goes, yeah, I'm going to get a bunch of nonsense for your interpretation. He goes, you tell me the dream. And you tell me the interpretations, king. We can't do that. Verse 13, and because of the king's decree, decree, men were sent to find and kill Daniel and his friends. So now the circle is not just the jokers the, uh, the, the, that he had. Now it's everybody. So the wise men are not only included, but now Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are going to be executed also. So you can imagine there, there's Daniel hanging out and uh, you kind of hear the, uh, Daniel uh, is here. Is that you, Daniel, and the boys? Yeah, that, that's, that's me. Hey, uh, we're on a special mission, and uh, we're going to kill you. Pause. Okay, thanks for letting us know. Uh, give me a minute here. Tie my shoes. I'll be there in just a minute. So Daniel is calm, composed, cool, collected here. And he, the, the first thing he does is he prays. He says, you know, we got to pray here. So Daniel, I want us to see this. In the midst of a crisis, what does he do? Doesn't freak out. Doesn't hit the, the panic button. He prays. 
And so he goes vertical rather than go crazy horizontally. So prayerfully then he looks to God. So I just want to say that the smartest thing that you can do when you're in the midst of a crisis and you don't know what to do is to pray. And so God is, is our source. God was his source. So he goes to the source. He doesn't go to all the lame, useless, dream interpretation manuals of the day that were there. No, he goes to God. So he says to his friends, hey, uh, let's have a prayer meeting so we don't get killed. I kind of like that. I like that because watch. He's doing something spiritual, but it's equally practical. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes people think that they don't go hand in hand. They absolutely always go hand in hand. It's not like you disassociate, well, now I'm going to be spiritual, and then, then I'm going to go back to my real life, but I can't be spiritual. No, the, the two are, are, you are designed to interweave the two things all the time. So when he, get, when he hears of, of uh, the secret then of the dream, and he understands the dream that he got when they were praying, he doesn't bolt out of there to the king's palace. No, I want you to notice also what he does. He thanks God. He thanks God. And so I want us to, to see the, the, the picture there. There's like four teenagers in a, in a Babylonian empire, and there they are. They're huddled up, four teenagers praying and seeking God. So it gives us great hope of how God can move in teenagers' lives. But how do you approach crises? Like all of that to ask these questions, what about you? How do you handle crises? Like what's the last crisis that you faced and how did you do it? And did you pray? Did you pray in the midst of your crisis? Or how long did it take for you to pray? And, and were you prepared? We talked about last week that you have to prepare before the crisis comes how you're going to react. So it says here that here's how Daniel reacted. He blessed. He gave thanks to the God of heaven. And so God desires for all of us that we would have a thankful heart. That like Daniel acknowledged the great giver of the ability to interpret dreams, that whatever it is, that we would pause and give thanks to God every day as a lifestyle. Reflexively, the Bible says, in everything give thanks. Not for everything, but in everything give thanks for this is actually the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. So next Daniel says, he goes before the king. And he said, king, give me a little more time. He goes before the king and says, hey, king, I can, I can interpret the dream. Daniel spoke, spoke appropriately, uh, reasonably, prudently, and he tells the king the dream. And so Nebuchadnezzar, as you can imagine there, he's like riveted. Honestly, like no one can tell me the dream. Who's this young upstart that's going to tell me the dream? He's like, bingo, here's my guy. The kid is nailing it. So you can imagine, like, he's just, he's just mesmerized as he's listening to this young upstart, Babel, uh, un, unlike the Babylonian's kid, tell the dream. So he says, yep, king, uh, here's what you saw in your dream. You saw this crazy, multi-metallic statue. It was brilliant. It was intimidating. It was frightening. It was awesome, King. It was like a science fiction movie, and you saw that, and you were terrified by that. And so next, then, he gives him the, uh, the explanation of the dream. First, he forgot the dream. Now, the explanation, verse 30. It's not because I'm wiser than anyone else. Notice there the humility of Daniel, that I know the secret of your dream, but because God, 
But basically, he gives thanks to God. He's acknowledging that it is God at work in his life. But because God wants you to understand what was in your heart, the dream that you experienced. And so what he does then is now he's going to recount history. It's one of the most uh, prophetic books in all of Scripture. Going to talk more, unpack this more in other chapters. But what he's going to look at is going to talk about successive world empires that dominated the world. And so, and we are still in this right now. And so he talks about the dream then, the dream revealed, the dream revealed. And so there's this massive metal statue that is standing there, so awesome that he's scared to death. And now we're getting a picture of world history. So here, here it comes. So Daniel tells the king, in your vision, you majesty, you saw standing before you a huge shining statue of a man. It was a frightening sight. And so now, I mean, he's hearing this and like his jaws dropping in awe of what he's hearing here, that Danny boy can tell him what he dreamed. And so he says, uh, he says, I'm sure you know by now, king. And the king is like hyperventilating, can hardly breathe because he's reliving the dream now. As Daniel is telling him the dream, you can feel the, the intensity of the drama that's happening here. Verse 32, it's like, okay, here it is. Here it is. I'm going to explain the dream. I'm going to tell you the dream. Then I'm going to explain it. Verse 32. So he's talking about world history now. This is history that has happened. I'm going to unpack it for you. The head of the statue was made of fine gold. Its chest and arms were silver. Its belly and thighs were made of bronze. The legs were iron. Its feet were a combination of iron and clay. So just stick with me. I know it sounds wild. And as you watch, more on the dream, a rock uh, that was that was uh, cut from a mountain, but not by human hands. It struck the feet of the iron and clay and smashed them to bits. So, so now there's coming this rock, like out of nowhere, that smashes a statue, blows it up to smithereens, and then that grows in, uh, like a mountain and, uh, and dominates the landscape. So the whole statue is crushed into small pieces. Then the wind blew them away without a trace, like chaff on a threshing floor. The rock that was knocked the statue down became a great mountain and covered the whole earth. So Daniel then is going to make clear the interpretation of the dream. I'm going to introduce it to you today, and we will talk about it more. Then he says to the king, that was the dream. And the king is stunned. That was the dream. He says, yes. And so now he says, king, I'm going to tell you what it means. So first of all, he's unpacked the dream, and that because God showed Daniel the dream, so now that he's unpacked it and told what it was, now he's going to tell what it means. So that's what we're now talking about. So Daniel is rather frank, very direct, a short, sweet, and to the point, and explains the meaning then behind the dream. So here it is. Each of the metals of the statue represent a different kingdom. There's four that are mentioned. The first one is the Babylonians, which was the golden head. Second in history, then, was the Medo-Persian, a coalition of the Medes and the Persians, which then was marked by silver, the arms in the, in the upper chest area. Then followed by them, historically, was the Grecian Empire, marked by bronze. And fourthly, then, was the iron and clay, which is going to take a little bit of time to explain, but that was a, going to be the end times, which we're still living today in the last one. 
So Daniel continues and says in verse 37, your majesty, you're the greatest of kings. The God of heaven has sovereignly given you power and strength and honor. He's made you to rule over all the earth. And so the king is going like, yeah, I think I like this young upstart. You know, keep, keep a comment about how awesome that I am here. So what I want us to see here is the Babylonian Empire. And here's a picture of what he saw. Here's a picture of what he saw here. And so that, I mean, there's a lot of depictions, and it's just sort of a graphic idea. It was something like that. But notice the head there. The head represents the Babylonian Empire. And he says, that's you, king. So he begins with the head of gold, and you'll, uh, this will all make sense. So just hang with me here. He says, look, he says, you are that head of gold. And he says, that's you, king. Says, says, yeah, that's you. And the king's like, yeah, that's me. Like, I'm, I'm the big kahuna up there. I'm the big tuna. I like when I'm hearing about this statue of gold here. And so he said, but here's what you need to understand. Like you say, well, how does that make sense? Nebuchadnezzar, it is known in the, the annals of history, was absolutely preoccupied with gold. He was all about gold all the time. He had a golden throne. He, li he lived, Babylon was a golden city. A hundred years after they were conquered, there was still gold in the city. Gold was everywhere in the Babylonian empire. But he says, you need to know, king, that the reason that there's a head of gold is because the God of heaven made this happen. So Babylon was known as the golden city. It had more gold than any city on the earth. Historians tell us that it was dripping with gold. The walls and the buildings there, they were covered. They were overlaid in gold. So gold, it is said by the historians, oozed out of the pores of every ounce of Babylon. So gold leaf palaces and gold leaf buildings everywhere. So uh, so that's where the gold comes from. That's the golden head of Babylon. So every, again, every metal relates to the kingdom that is represented there. So he says to him, look, Nebuchadnezzar, but after you, there's coming more kingdoms. He's like, what, what happened about the, me being great? And No, after you, there's coming more kingdoms. So get over it and get used to it because that's reality. Your days are numbered, verse 39. But after your kingdom comes to an end. So the Babylonian empire would come to an end. And so I think it was like 70 years or something after this. And another kingdom, that is the Medo-Persian kingdom, inferior in terms of, of, of how it was. It wasn't such strong leadership like Nebuchadnezzar. Inferior is to use, but that will rise and take your place. Your days are numbered. And so God then is speaking of world history. This is what we call a prophecy. It is history that hasn't happened, but is going to happen. So it says, look, king, this is what's going to happen. So the second then great world power that would exist before Christ comes here is the Medo-Persian Empire. And here's a picture of it. So the Medes and the Persians, the Medes and the Persians, the Medes, uh, some, some uh, Bible scholars think that there's the Medes and the Persians represented by the two arms. I don't know. I'm just, maybe, I, I don't know. But anyway, so the Medes and the Persians, guess what they were preoccupied with? I'll give you one guess. Ha, huh? come on, somebody. What do you think they were preoccupied with? 
Silver, yeah, silver. And so uh, Darius, the Mede there, uh, uh, who led the empire of the Medes, required that taxes be paid in silver. And so they literally had tons and tons and tons of silver. When they conquered other kingdoms, they took all of their silver. And so there was tons of silver everywhere, hence, not gold, but now the Medo-Persian Empire that would follow gold. And by, by the way, they're all lesser value metals as we go downward. But then after them, after that kingdom had fallen, we continue to read here, there's another kingdom. And so represented by bronze. Uh, that they would rise to rule the world. And so what do you think they were preoccupied with? The next kingdom, the Grecian Empire, was bronze, gold, silver, bronze. This is where it all comes from. And so the Grecian Empire was known for the extensive use of bronze. So imagine they're fighting uh, like the Turkish. They got the little lame turbans on their head and the dressing, and they come out with bronze a helmet like that, and shields, and breastplate, everything bronze. And so they were infatuated with bronze. So you see the next kingdom there is marked by bronze. Then you have, verse 40, the Roman Empire. Following that kingdom, there will be a fourth one, as strong as iron. So the kingdom will smash and crush all previous empires. And that's how the Romans... Again, I'm just introducing this. We're going to talk about it more. But that's how the Romans were known for, historically, that they would crush everything in their, in their wake. And so this is a perfect description of the legions of, of iron by which they ruled with an iron fist, that they, they were ferocious there, and they had weapons uh, of unbreakable iron. And then he says, lastly here, in the feet and the toes you saw, were a combination of iron and baked clay, showing that this kingdom will be divided like iron mixed with clay. It will have some of the strength of iron, but other parts of it will be strong as iron. Some will be weak as clay. So there's going to be this mixture here. And the mixture, verse 43, of iron and clay also shows these kingdoms will try to strengthen themselves by forming, watch, alliances with one another but they will not hold together just as iron and clay do not mix. So this is now talking about end time kingdom at the end of the age. We are living now in this uh, verse here, verse 44. And during the reigns of those kings, the God of heaven, okay, uh, now this is the end of time, uh, will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed or conquered. It will crush those kingdoms into nothingness and will stand forever. So Nebuchadnezzar now was seeing uh, the future rolled out. So here it is, verse 43, uh, uh, that will be a coalition then of 10 nations. And so more on that later. Again, there's not time to do anything but introduce the subject here. But he's shown here that all the kingdoms of men will one day halt. And then there will be out of heaven coming to the earth, the return actually of Jesus Christ. It'll be like suddenly a, a missile in the sky, a stone coming then, the living stone that Christ is known for, 1 Peter 2, 4, the stone is identified clearly in scripture that as you come to him, 
the living stone, the rock of our salvation, rejected by humans, but chosen by God, okay, will come then, and King Nebuchadnezzar saw all of this. I know that's a lot that I just unpacked. I know that's a lot to try to process and digest just an introduction. We'll come back to that. Verse 46. Then King Nebuchadnezzar threw himself down before Daniel and worshipped him. He commanded his people to offer sacrifices and burnt incense before him. Now think about that. Think about that. Just moments earlier, let's have that guy, that young upstart executed, as well as his buddies Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Let's execute them. Tells him the dream now. About the polythe- to this polytheistic king who just believes in all kind about 13 gods he believed in. And now he hears from Daniel, and all of a sudden here, he's like, saying, Hey, you know what, Daniel? Like, your God is our God. And then he commands everybody then to bow down and worship him. He says, Because your God is a revealer of dreams, and there's no one like your God. Your Lord is the Lord over all kings here. It gives you the power to reveal the secret here. And now what's also super cool is that Daniel has established himself in the kingdom as the spokesman, as God's spokesman to the Babylonian culture and kingdom there. Not all the, the, the jokers that the, the king Nebuchadnezzar formerly had, but now Daniel, which will reverberate through other kingdoms that he speaks for God. Verse 48. And then the king appointed Daniel to a high position, gave him many valuable gifts. Watch. And he made Daniel ruler over the whole providence of Babylon. That includes then the University of Babylon, uh, where he was indoctrinated in Babylonian culture, as well as chief over all of his wise men. So now he's, he's the big boss gone from being executed to being the big boss in the nation. So now he's been promoted to have incredibly great influence here, all because Daniel stepped up, all because Daniel was willing to speak. So uh, I want to make some final comments here, and then we're going to have communion together. So 2,600 years ago, Daniel the king told Nebuchadnezzar that what was going to happen in the future. He said, the dream is true and the interpretation is trustworthy. It is true. Uh, What the scripture is saying to us today, still reverberating, is that the dream is true. What we heard today is true. Uh, the, The coalition of 10 nations in the very end times is true. And so the vision, though, has not been fulfilled. But God is, has this predetermined plan here that has been uh, unfolding for more than 26 centuries. But uh, what we need to realize is that we have not yet reached the end of Nebuchadnezzar's dream. The dream that Nebuchadnezzar dreamed then is still being fulfilled in our day. And so we are living in the period represented by the feet of the image. And so uh, we're still waiting for the kingdom of the ten toes and the, uh, and the, and the eternal kingdom that is spoken about there uh, to happen. 
So God showed Nebuchadnezzar the climax of the ages. He saw the rock of ages in his dream take possession of the earth. And so a day will come when the Son of God, the eternal Son of God, as we saw here in Daniel chapter 2, is going to take over the earth. So here's all of that to say this. That is true. How is your relationship with the rock of your salvation, the Lord Jesus Christ? The Bible calls him the stone that the builders rejected, the cornerstone, the living stone. And so here is my dare to you. In light of this, uh, uh, I want to challenge you, like Daniel did, to step out of of your comfort zone, to speak to the most powerful, mighty man on the earth and tell the dream. He had to step out of his comfort zone. Think about it. The king didn't like what he said. The king said, I'm done with you, young upstart. Execute the kid. So there was great boldness and and, uh, uh, and courage that Daniel had to say to step up uh, and speak to the king. And so uh, to step out of his comfort zone there. Daniel did this, and and the power of that is echoed for generations, echoed for kingdoms. But I not only want to dare you, I want to double dare you. And say, why why are you giving us a double dare? Well, Well, because I couldn't settle on one dare, so I've got a double dare for you. And that is this, to not only get out of your comfort zone, but I double dare you to invest your life uh, in what endures. Invest your life in what endures in light of this here, what we've seen today. Because what this told us is that all the kingdoms of men will one day come to an end. All the kingdoms of men will one day come to an end. So wouldn't it make sense that we would, we would invest our lives? I mean, and of course, we got to do maintenance and live, you know, from day to day and all that. But to, to invest in what would endure the test of time. And so the Bible says in 2 Peter 3.11, look at this, look at this. Here it is. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, referring to what we just read, well, what kind of people ought you to be? In other words, seeing that everything that we see will one day no longer be here, like what kind of people should we be in light of that? And so to, to live, you know, with an, with an eye on eternity here, to invest in uh, what endures the test of time here, in other words, uh, that which will, will, will be last beyond us, uh, beyond the, the limits of this life. You know, you think about it when people live, and uh, the rewards you get for living is you get, they put you in a hole or in a box, and you get a dash. You get a dash. So you, there's your birthday, dash, death day. Put you in a hole, and you get a dash. That's it. You, you, your whole life is just that little dash. So what this is saying here is like, think about your dash. What, what can you do with the dash to, to think about investing in the dash and what endures beyond the dash, which will outlast you, outlive you. So that's my, my challenge to you from Daniel that you would consider your life.